Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Welcome to this week's show. I am your host, Bill Sickens. We've got a great show coming up for you here. We're going to be talking space telescopes, game development, all kinds of things. So hang out with us for the next hour and enjoy the show. Today's news is brought to you by Evolve Physical Therapy, a locally owned and independently operated clinic with locations in Sherwood and Bethany in Northwest Portland. Evolve Physical Therapy's experienced therapists will help you fix that nagging shoulder pain, aching back, or any other muscle or joint pain you are experiencing. Don't let pain prevent you from enjoying life. Visit www.ptevolve.com to learn how Evolve Physical Therapy can help you move better, feel better, and live better today. So what is in the news? Instagram adds parental controls. You know, I don't know this off the top of my head, but Instagram has been around for a while. I want to say at least 10 years, if not longer. Yeah. So, you know, it's, uh, I guess, better late than never. <laughs> yeah, so, maybe. Um, I think I, do I have an Instagram account? Is that the is that the one that I use? I think so. It's not me. Yeah, and I, I haven't really noticed anything really vulgar or crappy, but... Um, Maybe I don't look at those kind of things, so maybe it doesn't get encouraged. <laughs> yeah, I think part of it, they would have an algorithm like all those do that shows you things based on what it thinks that you like to, <clears throat> excuse me, like to look at, and mm-hmm. that would be the case here. But uh, they've added... I like, you know, I like all the Star Wars stuff and people dressing as cosplayers and the Mandalorians and people making stuff, so, and cats. <laughs> well, everybody likes cats. Cats is the reason the internet exists is to share pictures of cats. We all know that. Pretty much. <laughs> but um, as far as this topic goes, not to go on some tangent there. Sorry. Uh, this is a new addition. <laughs> it can be configured from the control area, the settings, and mm-hmm. allows you to be able to do some safe search, filtering, that type of a thing. The jury's still out on how well this works, but at least it's a start. That's something that's been asked for for a long time. Not smart, but clever. The return of dumb phones. Yeah, so under the topic of what's old is new again, Ah. is we're starting to have the old-style phones. It's a new take on them, but flip phones and what this is talking about is, for anybody that may not know, a smartphone is like an iPhone or an Android phone where you can browse the web and do all this stuff, have a calendar, get your recipe apps on there. You can even make phone calls, I think. But um, outside of that, the original mobile phones were much simpler, and there's still a lot of people that would like to have something where they just use it to make a phone call, send a text, and that's about it. Yeah. Maybe take a picture. I can understand that. And Mm -hmm. so these are coming back into style now, and there's a lot of options that are coming out this year for what they're taking now, dumb phones. Are they more affordable? They're more affordable, but more to the point is they're much easier to use. So if you have someone that's not tech savvy, like say a senior or someone that's just not really interested in dealing with a smartphone and the touchscreen and all that, these do become a lot simpler and a lot more accessible to be able to use and be able to just make your phone calls and then do everything else on another device. Uh, Who's all doing these? Uh, there's a couple of different manufacturers that are getting into the park, but one of the ones that I saw was Motorola. So there's a brand we might not have heard for a while. 
The yeah. other one that was interesting, now I haven't been able to confirm this exists or not, but it's one by a company called Ericsson, which is really a name we haven't heard for a while. I think they got yeah. bought by somebody, so it's possible somebody still owns the intellectual property and is using it again. Uh, I don't promise that exists until I can find out that it does, but that seems to be what's out there. Your other brands, I believe Samsung's even going to put their hat in this arena at some point. What is a CarPlay? Um, is it a play about cars? Yeah, really, you know. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. No, seriously, what so, is CarPlay? To give a little context on this, this is dealing with certain automobiles and their electronic packages. So they have had for a long time navigation systems and tech like that that's in your car that you can use and you usually get it as an option if you want it and it's not there if you don't. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. About eight years ago, they came out with this technology. Apple and Android both have it. CarPlay is the Apple-specific version. Android Auto is the Android version, but they're basically the same thing in what they're able to do. And what it is is you plug your smartphone into the dashboard and it transfers essentially the screen from the smartphone to your display within your car. Yeah. And there's a little more detail on it. There's an app that runs it and all that type of stuff. So it isn't just the display of the phone. It's something specific for while you're driving. And the idea is that you can use Google Maps or whatever to navigate, and you'll have that even if your car doesn't have a navigation system. The only problem is, and where this came from, was the listener's questions that they're looking at buying a Nissan Sentra, uh, which is a very well-respected kind of car, small car. And for whatever reason, and I'm picking on Nissan just because this is the one I know about, has opted to remove navigation technology from this entire series, this entire model, and only allow for CarPlay or Android Auto. So the, the where the question came from is, is it as good as having a regular in-dash navigation system? And the answer to that is no. <laughs> for, a oh. couple, for a couple of reasons. Number one, it's dependent on your smartphone. So you have to have a smartphone in order to be yeah. able to use that at all. Plus, the smartphone has to have service. So if yeah. you're driving somewhere where there's no signal, you don't have a map. And we've had that happen before. Yeah, yes, right. we have. The, I, I did reach out to get some answers on these questions, and the answer they gave me was basically, well, if you already had the map in, it would still work even when you went out of range, which that is true. But if you're doing weather conditions where uh, where you have road closures that will happen because of snow and danger, uh, that doesn't go through. Yeah, and that if you wanted to also – see, one of the areas I, – I live in Oregon, and I like to drive out to the coast, and there's a lot of areas there that don't have coverage. And this wouldn't work for me because I'd want to be able to map from some location on the coast to somewhere else, and now I'm not going to be able to do it if the phone doesn't have service. So needless to say, there are some disadvantages to it, too. And I am also just a personal subjective thing, but I am not a huge fan of Google Maps. I mean, they get the job done, but and they, and they do it well. I mean, it seems to be accurate and stuff. They've got some strange things. We've talked about the, you know, get off the freeway here and make three U-turns and <laughs> yeah. five minutes longer thing before. But mm -hmm. for the most part, it gets you from point A to point B, and it does, as long as you have coverage, give you the traffic conditions, weather conditions, all that kind of stuff. But it, to me, is just not as good as a dedicated navigation system. The dedicated systems tend to have more features. Plus, the other thing that I consider a little bit dangerous is if you're using Google Maps and a call comes in, it clears the map from the screen so that you can take the call. Okay, fine. But then when you hang up, it puts the map back in a little tiny box on the corner of the screen. 
and you have to try to mess around to hit the thing to go back to full screen while you're driving. To me, that's just not safe. No, that's mm. not good. And yeah. yeah, so not that I seem to have an opinion on this. I guess I do. But um, <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, you you have a long history of this. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that was CarPlay and Android Auto. Jeremy. Okay, next one. Maserati unveils new EV lineup commits to going fully electric by 2030. So when I get my Maserati now, it's going to be an electric car. Uh-huh. You know, somehow Room. I think I'll be able to live Room. with that. Yeah, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I get anything that's a Maserati, I'll be happy with that, electric or not. We're actually seeing this in a lot of the brands, including the luxury brands now, that they're converting away from the internal combustion engine going to electric vehicles. And as the technology gets better, I think that we're going to kind of see this across the board. And they're getting a lot more range, longer mileage. We're starting to at least talk about the ability to recycle the lithium batteries. So we're going in the right direction. I don't think we're there yet. There's still a lot of problems because as of right now, you can't recycle the lithium batteries easily. Mm. And the other big thing is the electric charging stations seem to not work consistently. So there are some bugs, let's just say, in the system that still need to be worked out. MGM is now part of Amazon. Yes, I saw this, and Hmm. this is specifically the movie properties, not the physical buildings in Las Vegas. Oh, okay. Okay. So Amazon has bought the right to their media properties. The deal has closed. So movies made by MGM or their many related subsidiaries now belong to Amazon, and... It's an interesting thing. I can see where this would boister up their library quite mm-hmm. a bit. And it yeah. might actually make sense to have a media company focus on media and a resort company focus on resorts. And they've always done a good job, in my opinion, of both. But it's a step in the direction of the way these things are going. All right. Well, we've got a great show for you this week. We're going to be talking a little later in the show about the Dell Webb Telescope. Did I say that right? Anyway. No. No, I didn't think so. You, you said Dell Webb. That that used to be a casino. Yeah, okay. I, I have casinos on the brain. But we're property, talking about yeah. the, the new NASA telescopes. James, the, the, James yeah, Webb. James Webb, yeah. And uh, <laughs> that's coming up. We're also going to be covering the Game Developers Conference, which just wrapped up in San Francisco this week. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This last week was the annual Game Developers Conference in San Francisco. After yep. a three-year hiatus due to the COVID disruptions, they are back with an in-person event and have a lot of interesting things going on. Now, the Game Developers Conference is an industry-specific event that is held to highlight you know, different things in the video game industry, what's new, certainly titles that are coming out and that type of a thing but also the technologies behind it, among other things. So, you know, digging into some of that is important to take a look at what they do and how they do it and what really goes into the process of writing a video game. And once upon a time, back in the days of Atari and, and these kind of assistants, putting the game together was a person or a couple of people that came up with an idea for it to do something and what you could do was very limited due to the technology at the time. So you would put it together, hopefully test it, something Atari seemed to have forgotten in their latter years. 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, and oh, again, yeah. Let's, let's not bring up that the whole E.T. game. Yeah, the E.T. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, that, <laughs> that's a story in of itself. And now that we've hit upon it, they actually did find the cartridges in the dump. This was a game mm-hmm. that was produced by Atari. In my opinion, one of the worst video games ever made. And a lot of people share that opinion. And they produced or created more copies of the cartridges than there were Atari decks in production. That's weird. So, that is odd. Yeah, you know, something went something went very wrong with that. One of the other things about games of those days, and even the first generation Nintendo, Sega, all of that stuff, was that it was a cartridge and you couldn't update it. So once it was out, it was out, and whatever it did or didn't do well was the game. So fast forward to 2022, and we have a completely different situation. When you buy a game now, if you still buy physical media, which you may mm-hmm. or may not do, when you put it in, the first thing it does is goes out to the internet to actually download the software, an update, zero-day update, and new things are pushed all the time to be able to add content and all of these things. And one of the first areas that the GDC was talking about this year was this whole idea of microtransactions. Mm. Now, we've talked I, yeah, uh, we've talked about that here before. And Jeremy, I'll let you talk here in just a minute. We've talked about that here before. And a microtransaction is a setup where you get a game and then you can go on and buy something within the game. So right. it's a way for the game manufacturer to make more money. Mm-hmm. So you know, and they've, yeah, they've had a lot of problems with people complaining about microtransactions because you know every little thing is a microtransaction. Oh, you want to you know change your costume? That's money. You want to get a different weapon? That's more money. And it, some of the schemes that that have been developed out there, you know, it's a couple extra hundred dollars to get a different character in the game. Right. And that's a little. That's a little much. Now I can kind of understand some microtransactions for like the smaller games that are like they call them freemium. Or whatever. Um, and I can understand them charging, oh, you want something special? Here it is. And that's the way they pay, help to pay for the game. Right. But right. when you're spending a lot of money to purchase the game in the first place, then I, or you're paying a membership, that just seems kind of like you're being nickeled and dimed to death. And, you know, one topic of this too is what you're talking about mobile games monetization is this idea of the free to play games where you end up spending a lot more than you probably would if you just bought it. Mm-hmm. And that's how the, these studios make money. And if it's a decent game, I have no problem funding some of what they do. You just have to be careful because it can add up very quickly and it's small amounts. Yeah. But uh, it turns into a big amount at the end of the day. And one of the discussions actually about this is doing this outside of the app stores because the various markets take a percentage. It was 30%. They dropped it a little bit after a controversy about this last year. Yeah, I remember that. But um, they still want to try to monetize outside of the game, and they're looking to be able to do that. Another thing that they're talking about is a new NFT checkout system (laughs) that would be used for buying stuff within game that would be completely separate and apart from the App Store. But, you know, moving beyond stuff like that, some of the other things that were very interesting that they talked about was things like the writing of a game. Mm. And there's a whole ecosystem and industry out there of people that are writers, creators, content creators, designers that have nothing to do with the whole concept of actually playing a game, but actually do the back-end stuff that makes it work. And this is actually more involved in some cases than writing for a movie. Hmm. So your Writers Guild members that uh, deal with these different type of things, it isn't just a path like a script from A to B, that's part of it. 
But you no, also you have, have to go off in different directions. It's right. like writing a D and D module, a D and D module, or a choose your own adventure type book. That type, yeah. Of thing. And it has to be believable and credible, or the whole rest of the game doesn't work. Then your next step of this is designing the environment that you're in. So mm-hmm. the graphics, the maps, the way that it works, the kind of uh, setup that it has for all of those things. And at the end of the day, that's a very, very key and important piece of it, you know? So I think it'd be kind of fun, personally, but, you know, it's hard to get into that type of industry. Yeah, it is hard to get into the industry, and, and that's another area that was talked about, too, actually. But the bottom line is, at the end of the day, there is a great deal of need for people that have these abilities, and they're behind the scenes, and they actually make your product good or not good, depending on what they're doing. Then you have, because it's a piece of computer software, the programming end, and companies like Unity were out showing off what they have, new 3D concepts, virtual reality is a big deal this year. Mm -hmm. We're seeing that grow up a lot with the metaverse and all of the things that go along with that. And at the end of the day, that is a key component. And a lot of companies in the last few years have learned how important this is, Project CD Red being one of them with Cyberpunk 2077. It works now, but it didn't initially. caused a whole bunch of problems. And the thing of it is, is you don't want that in your launch. Yeah. Another company was the uh, SimCity that came out a few years ago that almost destroyed the franchise because they were not able to handle what they got. And the other side of it is, is it didn't work quite right. So at the end of the day, the, those are just two examples. But at the end of the day, that's why you have to have all this tested out. Then you have the launch, the marketing the ability to sell the game, the idea of getting your players emotionally invested in the characters that they're playing. All that kind of stuff is a, is a layer. It's, it's a lot like writing a book. You want, you want to develop characters that people feel involved with, that they can relate to or somehow have an emotional response to. That's really important. Yeah, very, very much so. And at the end of the day, if you can achieve that, then you end up with a game like a World of Warcraft where your players keep coming back and keep coming back. And as long as you handle it right, um, which uh, Blizzard didn't do in the last couple of years, but before that they did, then you have a situation where you have people that will pay a monthly fee and come back. And those type of things can earn a lot of money. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is the industry is changing for doing all this kind of stuff. Another discussion that they had was the whole idea of hybrid work. And with the disruption of COVID, a lot of us have worked remotely now for two years and don't want to go back to the office. Mm-hmm. So this is yeah. something that in a lot of cases is here to stay. So dealing with that without the collaboration, you're working from home, so you still need to figure some of it out. You know, hybrid where you might be in the office a day or two a week, but still at home the rest of the time or working remotely. So a lot of good things came out of it, but those were the highlights that I saw. And uh, we're looking forward to next year. We had to attend virtually this year. But next year, I am going to do my best to be there in person. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and your comments, 503-766-6264, one user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. Keep them coming. UserFriendlyShow.com is our website. We would love to hear from you. 
So when we talk about pop culture and things like that, action figures are something that comes to mind. And Gretchen, you had some comments on that. Yeah, well, for a while there, um, my husband and I, we love collecting a lot of Star Wars stuff. Mm -hmm. And of the items of toys that I really like are the six-inch figures by Hasbro. The Star Wars Black Series. Yeah, I really love these figures, and I like taking pictures of them and putting the groups of characters and different, you know, like groupings and stuff like that. And I just thought that was really fun. And then for a while there... Um, we saw like a, a de- decrease mm-hmm. in, in, in the toys in general, but it also included the Star Wars black figures, black series. And, um, so just recently we've been able to get the figures again. And so we thought we'd maybe share some of the ones that we've got. Now th- we've gotten this one right here. It's, it's a Darth Vader and I'm going to have Jeremy d- uh, talk about it that we got a little while ago. Okay. Uh, so yeah, this they have regular like you you get a figure and then they make modifications to the figure and then re-release it. So like Darth this Darth Vader figure is uh, carbonized graphite, so it's kind of a weird blue color, but it's metallic. Okay. So like, but this one is it's the Darth Vader figure. Uh, he's got his lightsaber and all he's wearing all his body armor and everything, but he's blue. So, so he's just he's, a little different. Just a little different, <laughs> and he's kind of metallic and shiny. It's just you know an adaptation of the figure. And, you know, I got it on the internet because I haven't been to a, a convention in a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they started, they've been re- re-releasing all the stuff. Like, there's a, um, there was a prototype Boba Fett figure. Um, oh, I, I mean, remember they, they actually, that. When they, when they created the character, uh, he was all white. Yeah, we have so and I there. Yeah, I have the Boba Fett figure. I have all the Boba Fett figures. Um, <laughs> it's just, they, they make these little six-inch action figures. They're really posable. You know, they have more than five points of articulation, which is just a horrible way to make a figure. But they also have the like the all all the kind different kinds of weapons, and the helmets are removable on some of them. And you know they're really posable. And they have fabric capes and and Jedi robes and things. And like I I just got um, an arc trooper. Yeah, and I haven't seen one that was red <laughs> and white like this. I thought yeah. that was really cool. But he's got his his little blaster pistols and a regular trooper rifle and the really long trooper rifle. The um, visor, the little, the little antenna visor on his helmet moves. His helmet does come off. He's got a backpack, but he, he's an art trooper. You know, and everybody remembers art troopers. Those guys are really awesome. And I just, you know, I had to have an art trooper to lead my clones. So. Yeah, there you are. I, I kind of miss, I was kind of bummed when they killed fives, but, you know, that's the way the stories go. And speaking of clones, we have um, the Bad Batch. They, yeah. they have a set of Bad Batch figures. And uh, this one that Gretchen's holding right now is the Imperial version. So in the black of, armor of Crosshair. Cross yeah. And it is, he, his head isn't messed up. So he doesn't have the, the injury he got in the TV show. But he's wearing the all black armor. He's got a sniper rifle and his helmet comes off. Yeah, you he's can just, put it on, take it off. That's kind of neat. Yeah, he's got the backpack and his little pistol. He's just, you know, it's a really cool figure, and they're super poseable. So kind of like, really you know, kinda... the stormtroopers. You didn't know, you know, you you, pull, you grab a hold of a, we have a pile of stormtroopers. Uh-huh. And then some of them you pull on him, it's like, oh, there's Han Solo underneath here. Yeah, you they, know? They, actually, they, they made uh, stormtrooper versions of Han and Luke because they were... They were wearing rescuing, the gear. Yeah, they were rescuing Princess Leia. But, you know, in a pile of stormtroopers, you're like, oh, hey, look, that's Luke. 
And then we also have, looks like a scout trooper mm-hmm. from the Mandalorian series. Yes. This is one of the guys probably that punched Grogu. Yes, he probably is. Um, <laughs> but see, this one is also, this figure is also carbonized. So it's kind of, it's, it's off white and like a pearly white color, but he's dirty and grimy because he's, you know, the, from the Mandalorian series where, you know, the empire has gone. So they don't really have to keep, keep track of any care of or their maybe armor. their their armor's gotten old and they can't replace it or you know they, but, they're they're looking used yeah he's so he's this, this one's from the mandalorian and we have uh, a, yes. a a paz vizsla figure if everybody remembers the mandalorian um there's a different version of this figure uh that i also have which is one of the other ones it's just heavy mandalorian when that one came out but this one is is it says paz vizsla on it and it is also carbonized, so it's metallic and kind of shiny. But it's the same figure, just shinier. <laughs> so we're gonna have we're gonna have to get you to put some pictures of this up on our social. Oh yeah, sure. Because <laughs> it sounds it sounds very very incredible. And upcoming in a few weeks, we should talk about the value of these because I hear there's a lot. So all right, mm-hmm. well, we're gonna go to break. We'll be back. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. Recently, the launch of the James Webb Telescope happened, and we've had a lot of questions coming in about that. I'm going to start, Jeremy and Gretchen, with you. What do you guys know about this, if anything? It, it, I know it's a very large telescope. It was um, collapsible, and all of the, like the, the mirror that they use for the reflection stuff is a series of hexagons. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's about it. <laughs> so, and is is this telescope being launched to replace Hubble? Yeah, uh, Hubble's mission has ended, hmm. and the amount of scientific discovery that Hubble gave us was amazing. You know, and mm-hmm. so we wanted to take this, or NASA wanted to take this to the next level. And this is a project that's been around for a while. It just launched, and the first thing was everybody holding their breath because you have one of the most complicated systems in that it had to be folded up to be able to fit into the rocket, the launch vehicle. Uh-huh. And then it was sent up. It had to achieve its orbit, which is an interesting thing in of itself that I'll come back to in a minute here. And then it had to unfold. And, you know, if something goes wrong, you yeah. can't go and fix it. It's uh, how do if you any one of those if any one of those steps had failed, it would have been a horrible problem. Yeah. And but they didn't. It worked perfectly. And it is online. It sent back its first picture last week. They're still calibrating and doing a number of different things like that. But just some of the numbers on this thing are amazing. First of all, the mass. It weighs about 13,700 pounds. Wow. Wow. Now, to give yeah. you a, Give you an idea of that. That's about the size of a full-size school bus, or the mass of a school full-size school bus. And uh, so you're thinking you're actually launching that into space. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, know. I know that some of the other, like the space station, like Skylab, and some of those things were pretty good sized. So yeah, I mean they're able to do it. It's not that, but it's just something that, of that. Kind of a size with the with the but the telescope has like really delicate things attached yeah. to it, doesn't it? Yeah, things yeah. that are fragile that you don't want to get scratched and stuff. So one of those things would be the mirrors. 
Mm-hmm. So its primary mirror, which is about 21 feet long, is made up of 18 mirror segments. Jeremy was talking about the hexagon segments. And all of that had to be able to, when it was unfolded, react like one mirror. You can't have seams or it wouldn't work right. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so all of that was definitely a part of it, you know, and the other components, of course, are f- fragile, too. One of the other things was the membranes that are coated with aluminum. So the way that it's positioned in its orbit is it's able to block the light from the sun, heat, you know, all that type of a thing, earth and so on. So that that doesn't interfere with what it's seen. And it has an operating temperature that's just a little bit below 60 Kelvin which, for anybody that doesn't know, that comparison is about 370 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Oh, so uh, it's designed wow. to work in the cold. <laughs> really cold. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> wow. So, you know, as far as, uh, as far as that goes, the maximum temperature on the other end of it is uh, 390, or I'm sorry, 260 degrees Fahrenheit. So you do have a range there, a little bit more of a range than I have. <laughs> and the orbit it's of like- this is interesting, too. So the orbit is about 1 million miles from Earth. Hmm. And again, the idea here is that you want something that is able to not be subject to the interference of atmosphere and other things, light pollution and whatnot, to be able to see out and get an unfiltered, if you will, version of what is out there. So So now I have a really stupid question. Okay, so where is the moon, and uh, and where is the James Webb, and where is Earth in you know comparison? Do you know? Uh, I would be happy to answer that question. <laughs> no, I do not know that off the top of my head. Although I know it's much further out in the orbit. Because I'm yeah. wondering, you know, would you have a night where you might actually see it pass between us and the moon? So, you know, the distance, that's a good question, Gretchen. No, I don't know that off the top of my head. Well, maybe you'll have someone who will yeah, we, <laughs> on we the might show. Yeah, we'll have to reach out and see if we can, if we can do that. Because that's, uh, that's interesting to see where that actually corresponds. And yeah. yes, there are people out there that will be able to answer that a lot more. So, anyway, the mission is five to ten years. So that's what they're expecting it to run for. Wow. Mm-hmm. Hubble ran longer, so this may very well, too. But, um, you know, you go from there. So now, in answer to your question, because I just found it as I was babbling there, <laughs> the orbit of the Earth and the Moon around the Sun, in the picture that I'm looking at, which we'll share out on social media, is very close. The orbit of the telescope is, I would say, 20 times the distance of the Earth to the Moon, something like that. And again, that's just, that's just a rough estimate from looking at so this picture. It's on the outside of the moon. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. So, because I, I was trying to, you know, I don't know what the distances are off the top of my head because I didn't. I'm. That's not my field of interest <laughs> or expertise. And I was just thinking, well, where does this thing sit? So it sits on the other side of the moon, yeah. not the, you know, in between us. Okay. So. And then the thing of it is, is when it was commissioned, this is the other part. Like I said, they hold their breath. It was launched. The first part of it to deploy was the solar array. Uh-huh. And then the first communications, then the sun shield, then the uh, secondary mirror, and then finally the primary mirror, and then it went into its orbit. Uh, now, this orbit, again, is around the sun, not around the Earth. So that's how that's being set up. Oh, okay. So maybe yeah, that okay. Makes that makes a sense. big difference. That makes a lot more sense. 
So is there any danger that that would have been really difficult because they had, would have had to plan for it not to bump into anything? Uh, yeah, well, that you was certainly part of it. You don't want to crash your telescope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as long as it sees the asteroids it's about to hit it, that's fine. <laughs> but I mean, not not to bump into like you know, there's Mercury, no, and yeah, well, Venus, yeah. and uh, Mars. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think they're going to bump it into Mars, but uh, yeah, that's know. right, Mars. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so in any event, the other thing about it is is the spectrum, and uh, infrared is a big part of it. So Hubble was visible light primarily, UV visible light, and some infrared. James Webb is primarily infrared, mm-hmm. so it's able to see a spectrum of light that is very different from Hubble, and it allows it to see further. So the light that we're picking up, whether it's radio waves or visible light or something else, is light that was generated a very long time ago. Mm, yeah. You know, so that's what it's getting. So anyway, we'll follow up on this in the future. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great show this week, as always. You know, the Game Developers Conference and these type of trade shows, I'm glad that they're still producing them because with what's been going on, you never know. They make their money off of doing a show, and if they can't right. produce for two or three years, I know we've lost a lot. Then, then they may not come back. I think we've lost a lot of events. Yeah, absolutely. So this is a good thing. You know, to actually be able to see it out there. But uh but, you know, I look at this, at the different type of things, the conventions and stuff. We were talking about action figures earlier. It is a way to be able to get out and see some different things and do something. So I think there's a certain amount of where it's just important and kind of fun to be able to take that breath. And connect with people. Yeah, connect with people, especially with all that's going on in the world right now and uh, mm-hmm. and the universe as it is with the James Webb Telescope. So we didn't do a Q&A this week, but we did have one question that came in from a number of different people. So I wanted to ask you guys, who mm-hmm. is the user-friendly cat? Well, we have a there couple, are two cats. actually. <laughs> yeah, there's our cat and there's your cat. Yes, yes. But the one that we hear all the time is yours. Oh, oh that's Esther. Esther. Yes. yes. <laughs> she's, she's our adopted kitty. She was abandoned uh, at a house we were renting. And uh, Gretchen got really attached and decided that we couldn't just leave her there. So we, we adopted a kitty. And we took care of her, and she's still around. It's been 15 years now? Yeah, she's like 17 yeah. years old. So, um, <laughs> yeah, she still runs around. And, and because her brushing chair is actually right next to Gretchen's desk, every now and then she gets on the chair and says, hey, brush me. Yeah, and she's got a little jingly <laughs> collar. And <laughs> so that's the bell that we hear every so often. Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. For some curiosity, I know she's a little tiny cat too. I yeah, mean, she is tiny. She's not like the the potato kitty that we we heard <laughs> no. about. No. But uh, the, but she's bigger than that. But I when I first thought saw her, I thought she was a kitten, like you know a a, a you know like a mid sized kitten. Yeah. <laughs> I was really surprised but to yeah, find no, out that she wasn't. She's still very tiny. We'll probably include a picture too. too so, you know, <laughs> action figures and cats. And you have a kitty too. Tell us yes, about Yes, I him. do. Sterling, also a rescue. He's a special needs that I've had for a long time now. And uh, we found him and he had a bad eye and a bad leg. And 
had been through a lot of tough times, and it took about two weeks to get him back to a point where he would, I guess, be socialized. When I adopted him officially, they said he was feral. He wasn't, but he was so terrified of everything that all he wanted to do was go sit in a corner. And it took about two weeks, a lot of love, and a can of tuna fish, ultimately, to get <laughs> beyond that. And ever since then, he has been one of the neatest kitties. And He is problem, a sweetie. My problem is I get attached to a cat in about five seconds, you know. There's a sign that says, you, you had me at meow. In my case, you had me at moo, you know. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's our Studio Kitties. And until next week, this is User-Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2022. User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. All rights reserved. The views and opinions on this show are those of the host and not necessarily those of the User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or this station. Music licensed by BMI. Hosting provided by WeAreTechnology.com. Podcast available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.